Hello and welcome to the 30th Anniversary Chime Podcast, where we are celebrating three decades of dedication to digital health leadership. I'm Russ Branzell, your host for this podcast and the CEO and President of Chime. Each week until the Fall Forum in San Antonio, we're going to be spending time with great digital health leaders who have made a very special impact on Chime and our industry. Today, we welcome the board chair from 2011, a fellow of Chime, and was actually a charter member all the way back in 1992. So he has seen it all. <laughs> he is now a semi-retired, which I'm pretty sure no CIO really knows how to retire, still working with our great friends over at Hunsinger Advisors. He is taking a well-deserved break, though, from the trials and tribulations of being a CIO, but he was also a university professor, published author with a great book that came out in 2019 called Who Knew? Inside the Complexity of America's Healthcare System, and as I mentioned, a CIO at some of the nation's top health systems. More importantly, an amazing friend of mine, amazing friend of Chimes and to our industry, welcoming Dr. Lynn Vogel to our podcast. Welcome, Lynn. Thanks a lot, Russ, and a delightful opportunity here to participate in Chime heading into its 30th year. Um, really appreciate the opportunity to contribute and, uh, and certainly appreciate your leadership uh, over the last couple of years that has really enabled Chime to get to its 30th year. So very much appreciated. Well, thanks, Lynn. And, and one of the things that we're doing with everybody here, these great leaders, all almost 30 of them, is trying to pull out of them some of their great stories. And you're one of the few, actually the very few, that have been there since the very beginning, 1992, when you were a charter member. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your Chime story, your Chime journey, uh, kind of what got you engaged. But you weren't engaged for the short term. You've been engaged for the long term. So I'd <laughs> love to true. hear your story. That's certainly true. Uh, well, I I guess the, the way to start here is that I probably started like most of us did back in the 80s, 1980s, uh, as a member of HIMSS. Um, went to a couple of HIMSS conferences and realized that um, the CIO role, which by then was just getting started, uh, was really not being recognized in many ways. Uh, we were kind of thrown in with everybody else um, who had an interest in IT. Uh, so I started as a HIMSS uh, member initially. Um, but on the other side, I was also a member of an organization called SCAMSI, Symposium on Computer Applications in Medical Care. Um, and Champsy was, Scampsy was really more on the academic side, focusing on research and research developments and that sort of thing. Now, the interesting thing about it is when Chime came along in 1992, I became a um, charter member of Chime. Uh, and a little bit earlier, uh, the Scampsy group had joined with a couple of other organizations to become the American Medical Informatics Association or AMIA. And so I've kind of followed both of those paths over my career. Uh, longtime member of AMIA, longtime member of CHIME. Um, so, and my career itself has been sort of schizophrenic in some ways. Uh, and that AMIA versus CHIME situation uh, pretty much captures that. Um, my career has, has really focused on academic medical centers. And in every place where I've been a CIO uh, or a VP over IT, um, I have also had a faculty appointment. So I started at the University of Chicago. Um, I was arguably the first CIO at the University of Chicago, um, then was recruited to go to Mount Sinai in New York. And eventually Sinai uh, moved on with uh, New York Presbyterian. 
uh, and had a faculty appointment in biomedical informatics at Columbia. Um, and then subsequent to that, uh, joined the HealthLink organization as a consultant for really not very long, but that led me into the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. And I was the VP and CIO at MD Anderson then for uh, seven years or so. And at the same time, had a faculty appointment at the University of Texas in um, bioinformatics and computational biology. So I was able to kind of move back and forth, if you will. Uh, I think the joke really is that the people in the CIO community thought I was kind of a flaky faculty academic type. Uh, and the uh, people in the academic community thought I'd gone over the dark side uh, by being a CIO. But it's been a wonderful ride. Um, and I've managed to really participate on both sides and in both kinds of professional organizations, given presentations at national meetings, both for Chime and for AMIA. And as you say, uh, published my book in 2019. Um, but I've really been a, a participant as a CIO and an observer as an academic writing about IT in the healthcare industry. And I'm actually still doing that. Uh, I've done some consulting work over the past few years, but uh, I just finished an article on the changing and challenging role of today's healthcare CIO. Um, so I'm still keeping my finger in the game. Well, I think you were just coming on to the Chime board when I was rolling off, and then you were eventually the CEO or the the chair right. in 2011. And so I'd love to hear about one. What are your? It could be personal. It could be professional. It could be working with people. Doesn't matter. I'd love to hear about one of your fondest memories about your time serving on the board, and, and specifically your year as chair, where you're guiding and leading. Well, I think the. The most important thing about the Chime Board at that time, and I assume it has continued, has been the incredible collaborative nature of board members. Um, everybody seemed focused on providing the best opportunities we could for our constituents, uh, which were both uh, vendors and CIOs. Um, so it was a matter of kind of balancing that out um, and trying to, to maintain Chime as a professional organization for the benefit of CIOs at that time. I think it's broadened since then, which is a very good thing. Um, but we have, we were focused at that time. You know, we had major discussions uh, at the board level. At that time, we renegotiated the agreement between HIMS and CHIME, uh, which had been uh, competitive for a while as to who was gonna represent uh, the senior IT leadership in healthcare organizations. Um, we revised the Chime Foundation fee structure, uh, and uh, we also developed a number of metrics uh, to try to help balance the relationship between the CIOs and the vendor community, uh, who also sent representatives uh, to the Chime events. But I think the thing that strikes me more than anything was the, the kind of friendships that were formed at that board level. Um, and again, the, the camaraderie, I've been on a number of boards um, where board members come in with their own agenda and there's lots of conflict and uh, lots of ill feelings, etc. That was never the case on the Chime board. Uh, we were all really focused on what we could do to best serve our Chime members. And the staff also um, really echoed that. So I think that that's, if I remember something from that time uh, most fondly, it's really that sense of of being together and of working together on the issues and challenges that faced CIOs in healthcare. 
Well, Lynn, I'll have to say your answer was quite professional and much better than mine because my favorite Lynn Vogel <laughs> memory of your year on, on the board was, the, I don't know what they were called. I'm just going to call the band Lynn Vogel and Friends on stage at the Fall Forum playing some good pickup country music on the stage. It's the only time where we didn't have to rent a band because it came one with the chair. So, well, uh, that was, you know, that was it was a lot of fun. Um, and uh, I had been playing the banjo, I don't know, I guess five or six years by then. And uh, when the, the fall forum was going to be held in uh, San Antonio, and we got a literally country western band, um, and uh, I had communicated uh, with them and said, you know, I'd like to play for a bit. So the Thursday night traditional dinner, um, I got up on stage and got my banjo and played a couple tunes. And boy, it really surprised a lot of people. I got a lot of comments and a great picture taken by one of the chime folks um, that I've used ever since. So yes, you're absolutely right. Very fond memory. I continue to be a banjo player. Um, I have actually have done a professional uh, uh, backup work uh, with one of my former colleagues. I played in a band all the time I was in Houston. And uh, one of my colleagues there has become a professional recording artist. And so I played backup on, on one of his pieces. So uh, I guess I've either gone completely over the hill or thoroughly enjoying it constantly. I know of two banjo players in my entire life, and one is you and the other is Steve Martin. So that's pretty <laughs> darn good company, my Boy, friend. I tell you, you're elevating me far beyond my, my <laughs> Hey, so let's talk, let's talk a little bit about, you know, kind of experiences and skills, because it is who shapes us. It's what molds us. It's, a, it's just all the different experiences we put in over time. How do you think your experience, because yours is very unique, uh, academic world, research world, um, higher university kind of mindset of, of actually teaching. How do you think that shaped your perspective in, in not just your chime role as chair, but really your role in leadership in our industry? Well, I think one of the big challenges that CIOs generally have faced has been how to be influential in the decisions that are made about IT investments in their organization. And I think most CIOs at one point or another have been pretty frustrated that they have not played a more active role um, uh, in, in what, how those decisions are made and, and who's making them. Uh, I was fortunate in, in many ways uh, in the academic medical center world that I came into that with a PhD and with a faculty appointment. And for example, when I was at MD Anderson, I was the only member of the administrative staff who actually had a faculty appointment as well as an administrative appointment. Um, and in the academic world, that kind of degree gives you credibility. And I think that's the big challenge that CIOs have always faced, uh, which is how to establish credibility uh, when in fact uh, some measure of the things that you do is com are completely out of your control. Um, you know, you're expected to keep all the computers up and running 24 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, and you're expected uh, to install new systems and to keep them maintained, uh, keep them up to date, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I think that that's, that's been a challenge. How do we keep CIOs in a position where they can be influenced? So I've been fortunate, as I said, you know, having an academic background, going into an academic medical center. Uh, I think I probably walked in about a half a step up uh, from someone who would come in with a, a standard, you know, master's degree. Many CIOs have MBAs, um, and those are well-respected degrees in the IT community, 
and in the healthcare community generally. Um, in the academic world, it's a little strange. Um, and you know, there's there's always the faculty member sitting at the back of the room who says, raises his or her hand and says, well, that's an interesting decision we're making to install this new system, but nobody talked to me about it. Um, so you're managing a lot of, of uh, fairly strong egos uh, as you try to continue to move forward and to get the organization to move forward. Um, so I think that's, that's how my industry experience really has shaped and shaped my leadership at Chime. The, the thing about Chime to me was all about collaboration, um, that uh, we wanted to bring as many people along as possible. Um, you know, we didn't, uh, when we had an issue with the board, uh, we talked about it um, and we worked on resolving it. Uh, you know, we didn't uh, go down to, you know, six to three uh, decisions and, and annoy half the people on the board. Um, we really tried to keep moving forward and, and keep collaboration. And I think that's, that was also helpful to me in my role as a CIO and an academic, um, because academics at the end of the day, even though there are a lot of strong egos, uh, there is a fundamental expectation of collaboration. Uh, and, uh, and I think that's, that's an emphasis that, um, that really has, has, has been enhanced really um, and, and, but actually has also become more challenging. I mean, we have CMIOs and CNIOs. We have clinicians with undergraduate degrees in computer science um, and a whole generation now of IT users in healthcare who grew up with IT, uh, who starting in elementary school in some cases. Uh, I didn't think I was that old, but maybe so. Uh, but, but they come with a set of expectations, uh, a set of knowledge, uh, a, a set of experiences, uh, that you really do have to incorporate into the process of making decisions or supporting the decision-making process. Um, so I think that's that's where the that's where the role has changed. That's where the job has changed. Uh, increasing collaboration. I mean, we are no longer the smartest IT person in the room, um, but we are expected to lead everybody else. Um, and finding your footing as a leader in that kind of environment is a real challenge. So you just kind of hit on a thread here that we're trying to pull on through this series, and that is part of the roles of, of leaders, whether they're a chair, whether the CIO, the head of informatics, the CEO, doesn't matter. One of the things we do is try to help create an environment where others can flourish, reach their, reach their greatest potential. And, you know, we had some of your, even though you were part of our bootcamp faculty, we also had some of your, your, your team would come as students and they would often brag about you, you, not only are you a great challenger, but you also create an environment where people can try to achieve their best. What leadership approaches do you take to create an environment where that's possible? Well, I think the first thing is you have to realize, and it was a little comment I made earlier, um, you're not the smartest IT person in the room, uh, not anymore. I mean, back in the 1990s, the CIO, new, new role, new definition, um, um, uh, new title, uh, you were the IT person, uh, you were the go-to go IT person. Um, and now that has changed in fundamental ways. Um, so as a CIO, your challenge is very different than what it was even 15, 20 years ago. Um, and that role now is to identify people who are smarter than you are, who know more than you about particular areas, um, and then are uh, able, as a CIO, your, your job is to encourage them, support them, let them do their jobs, let them move forward, 
Um, and, and in that way, you succeed as a team. Uh, my best example of this is, is security, really. Um, you know, back in the early days, security was really about IDs and passwords and managing. And, you know, we did a pretty good job in most cases, not all the time, but the security has now become an incredibly complex, highly technical field of operations and study and risk for the organization. Um, and the CIO can't possibly know all the aspects that need to be done regarding security, security policies, security practices, um, how security incidents are reporting, are reported, um, how those incidents are managed, uh, what kind of, of accountability is there when there's a breach. Um, those are, have become highly technical things. The whole aspect of the network environment um, you know, back not too many years ago, you know, I was really quite comfortable talking about network infrastructure and servers and routers and that sort of thing. Well, that, that has become so specialized and so complex that the job of the CIO now is to hire people who are deeply technical um, and who know the area in which they work and let them do their jobs and to create an atmosphere in which there are opportunities for them uh, to grow, uh, to keep learning, uh, to attend conferences that will help them do that. Uh, that's really a, a very different challenge from, from what it was even a few years ago. And I think that's, that's really is something that some CIOs have a hard time uh, adjusting to. Um, because as a CIO, you often think you are expected to have all the answers. Um, but that's really not the case anymore. I remember we used to, when MD Anderson, we had quarterly full staff meetings. Of, um, and in those meetings, uh, one of the favorite uh, sessions, one of the uh, situations in those meetings was we would hand out three by five cards to everybody in the audience. And they would say, ask the CIO any question you want. And uh, we got some doozies. But the, the important thing was people felt they could ask, that they could expect accountability from the CIO. And I didn't have any problem standing up there if there was a question I couldn't answer, turning to my network person or my telecom person or an applications person and say, will you please answer this question? Because that's not something I'm familiar with immediately. And to not be defensive about that, uh, to recognize that it is an incredibly complex world we live in today and your job is to create an environment where people can excel. Um, now, one of the interesting challenges is if you have a director, for example, who's 45 or 50 years old, and that director has people under him who, or her who want to ascend to that role, that's probably not going to happen. If that person is performing well, they could be there for another 15, 20 years. So in those cases, some of those people decide to leave and go someplace else. And our job really was to say, we understand the situation. We understand your ambition. We encourage you. If you have a better opportunity someplace else, we will give you a great send off. Because interestingly enough, in five or six years, those people may come back with greater depth of experience, more knowledge, etc. maybe in a different role. But you have created an environment where you recognize the limitations of the structure you have, still supporting people as best you can. So, Lynn, one of the things we're doing on these, these podcast series with all these great leaders is trying to find key attributes and words that describe 
what we believe chimes about, what we aspire to be, but also what those leaders aspire. And for you, we picked the word influence. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to hear from you what you think the word meant for means for chime, but but also what it means for a leader in our industry. That word influence. Well, that's a very good, very good theme, uh, I think. Um, and you know, back when I got started, the CIO's influence was acknowledged. Um, uh, you had credibility as the IT person uh, in the organization. Uh, you were the go-to person. Um, that has fundamentally changed. And our influence now as CIOs is not that we are the expert in everything related to IT. I think our influence now really relies on our ability to bring people together in order to facilitate the best possible IT investment decisions that the organization can make. Um, one of the themes that comes out of this a lot is the theme of IT governance. Uh, question is who makes the IT decisions? In some organizations, the CIO likes to think that he or she is the smartest person on the block and therefore he, he or she will be the person who makes those decisions. Um, in point of fact, IT investments are most successful when the people who are the recipients of those decisions, who are the recipients of the investment, who participate and use the investment, if they participate in the decision-making process and feel that they have been heard and have a sense of ownership over what that decision is, that results in the benefits from that investment are going to be significantly greater. Now, that means that the CIO's role then becomes one of facilitating collaboration collaboration among other people in the organization. Yes, you are the CIO. Yes, you have the IT department reporting to you. Uh, But if there's any way possible as a CIO, you can be given the leadership of the decision-making process. Not that you make the decisions, but that you lead the process um, by which those decisions are made. In order to do that, I think you need two things. One is you need credibility. That is, if you're running the IT department, you better have a very good IT department with very good people, um, and very transparent, very responsive, uh, and uh, having that credibility as a performer is important. But the second thing that you need is the authority to actually be the facilitator uh, and to facilitate those decisions. Um, now, establishing credibility as a performer is a good way to get there. Uh, But many organizations have strong cultures and histories where the IT people were kind of relegated to the back room, um, and they were the ones who were not uh, necessarily looked at as participants in actual decisions, uh, as long as they kind of kept the lights on in the data center. Um, So getting that authority to do that uh, can be a challenge in some organizations. Um, and it's, I think it's a challenge for organizations like Chime. I mean, what is Chime's influence in the IT world these days? Um, I'm mean, over the years, and certainly back when I was uh, the chair of the board, um, you know, we worked hard to try to establish collaborative relationships with HIMS, with ACHA, with uh, HFMA, with AHIMA, uh, all of those organizations. I, I don't even know that AHIMA was around uh, earlier that time, but but other professional organizations. And the problem is just like in a hospital where there is significant competition for a limited set of resources and time and energy, et cetera, 
With professional associations, there is also a competition uh, for resources, for positioned, if you will, uh, for being perceived as the most important organization for the, the, the healthcare facility, et cetera. Um, and quite honestly, uh, and I don't know, I'm not up to date on sort of where you are with these kinds of things these days, but we were always at Chime pretty frustrated that the organizations that we wanted to work with and to collaborate with um, really were more interested in protecting their own turf than they were in, in being collaborative. Um, and I think that's true in many hospitals today. Uh, I think it's less than it used to be um, as people realize that, they, that everything is interconnected in the hospital today in terms of IT. You have to have the IT people involved. Um, in terms of influence, uh, the CIO is in the best possible position if he or she becomes the facilitator who manages the process by which decisions are made. So that things like total cost of ownership, uh, risks, um, uh, long-term application support, those things can be factored in uh, because often when organizations make um, IT investment decisions, they don't really spend too much time on that. I mean, they may focus on the total cost of ownership because it's about money, uh, but I can't tell you the number of times that somebody showed up with an application that had been written by some friend or brother or whatever and said, I want this in my department. And the application was completely incompatible with anything we were doing uh, as a production facility. Uh, and by the way, people who rely on their brother-in-law for long-term maintenance and support for the application are taking a pretty risky route. Um, so it's, it's about collaboration. It's about being in a, putting yourself in a position where you can facilitate the decision-making, even recognizing you're not making all of the decisions directly. With that being said, we have a huge responsibility, and, and you and I have been part of it for a long time, and that's kind of bringing up some of the next generation of, of folks through our boot camp program and through other means and forums and all kinds of stuff. Uh, matter of fact, it's funny even looking around at the board now, I think all but one of the CIOs that are sitting on the board right now, we're all students of ours. Um, so it's kind of an, it's kind of, you get to sow and you get that's to reap. Scary. That's pretty scary. Well, that yeah, is. you're sowing and reaping in the same period of time, but it's, it's amazing. What do you think we should be teaching this next group of leaders, considering how much technology is advanced? I mean, we were putting foundational stuff in. Now this stuff is robotics and advanced engineering and all kinds of really crazy Star Trek-y kind of stuff, what should we be teaching the next, next group of leaders in this world? I guess there are a couple of things that I would point to specifically. One is um, try to clarify in your own mind what your role is as the CIO. Um, and it is to provide collaborative leadership in terms of the decisions that are being made and to seek out the expertise you need in order to facilitate those decisions. Again, the same theme keeps coming up. Recognize you are not the smartest IT person in the room on every aspect of IT. You have to leverage what expertise is available. And not necessarily from consultants and people on the outside, because in many healthcare organizations, there are people inside, even clinicians, who are very savvy about IT and can be leveraged and their interests and their knowledge and experience that can be used to further benefit the organization in the decision that it makes. Um, secondly, the best IT decisions are made, and I sort of alluded to this earlier, best IT decisions are made when the people who 
are expected to use those investments, to benefit from those investments, if they are involved and feel a sense of ownership over the decisions themselves. Um, that is very, very important. Um, and so it, it comes back to figuring out what your role is as a CIO, and that it is not necessarily to be the smartest IT person, but it is to be the smartest person in terms of the process by which IT investment decisions are made. Um, a third comment I would make is be skeptical. Um, vendors, uh, hedge funds, all kinds of people make incredible claims about what their product will do in your organization. Um, and a healthy skepticism is extraordinarily important, or you'll be taken down paths that consume lots of money, lots of time, and yield very minimal results. Um, there's a lot of talk in the, in the uh, healthcare industry about transforming healthcare. Healthcare is a very complex industry. I argue always that it's been, it is the most complex industry in our economy. Um, and a lot of research has been done on how you solve complex problems. And you don't solve those problems well by necessarily confronting everything at once. You solve those problems by taking a step at a time, uh, moving things along, sometimes at the margin, sometimes in a, in a larger area, uh, but be skeptical of products and services that claim to solve a whole bunch of things at once. Uh, because we've been promising that for 25 or 30 years, that computers will solve all kinds of things, transform healthcare, electronic medical record, you know, the discussions that got started in the mid-1990s, it was going to transform the industry. And here today, we're sitting with physicians who are, while they acknowledge the benefits of an electronic medical record, they're very frustrated by the burdens that are placed, the extra burdens that are placed on them, um, about their frustrations with performance, uh, about systems that don't necessarily conform with the, the workflows that they are accustomed to. Um, and, and that just makes for, I mean, you know, we talk about physician burnout, et cetera. A lot of that comes from the fact that, that we have imposed, uh, we have mandated, we have incentivized uh, uh, people to use systems that weren't, not, weren't necessarily of their choosing or in any sense that they participated in that decision process. So skepticism is very important for uh, uh, CIOs today. Uh, we often are looked at as sort of IT evangelists, uh, chasing every shiny object that comes down the road. Uh, and there's some of that, and it's kind of fun sometimes. But recognize when you're talking about an institutional use of a product or a suite of products, you really have to be have to have your skeptical hat on and say, demonstrate, prove. Um, I want to see what's happening. I want to see what the results are of this investment. Um, and recognizing that in many cases, the traditional investment models uh, really don't apply. Um, it's very hard in a complex industry like healthcare to implement an application and say, this application will generate X benefits. And therefore the ratio of benefits to cost is very clear. It's not clear, um, you know, in healthcare generally, we have not yet figured out how to solve the problems of cost, how to solve the problems of access, and even solve the problems of how we measure the quality of what healthcare is expected to do. Um, and until we tackle those issues and until we focus our application world on those kinds of problems, 
uh, we're gonna be frustrated and we're gonna be kind of left out in the cold as IT people because we promised things that we really couldn't deliver. So with the last few minutes we have left on this podcast, here's here's a chance because we all go through this industry and we've you know walked in the footsteps or stood on the shoulder of giants, but there's always been those one or two people that really did give us a, a helping hand or a lift up as we went along. I love this simple saying, we should never wait to the funeral to eulogize people. <laughs> and, and you know, who are those people, who are those one or two people, or maybe that one special person that you owe a big thanks to that you can call out now and, and really express your, your appreciation? Well, I would, I would say there are a couple. One was a guy named Ken Bloom. Um, Ken was the COO at the University of Chicago Hospitals. And uh, I was working in the finance department and I was on the interview list for candidates for the CIO job, uh, or the, the director of IS at that time. And when I went through all these interviews, et cetera, I finally sat down with Ken one day and you say, I said, you know, I've seen all these people come through. I think I can do this job. And he looked at me and he said, I'll give you that opportunity. And that led to being the first CIO at the University of Chicago Hospitals. Um, Ken went on to become the CEO of Stanford Health um, in California and later as the head of the advisory board, but he had that faith initially that I could actually do that job. Um, second person, probably a guy named Ted Shortliff. Ted was a physician, undergraduate in computer science, the first biomedical informatics graduate from Stanford uh, Medical School. Uh, he became my chair at, um, at Columbia in the biomedical informatics department there. Um, and Ted looked at the kinds of things I had been doing uh, as an operational person and my interest in academia. And he said, you need to be on the faculty of the biomedical informatics department. You need to teach. Uh, you need to teach our graduate students. He provided that opportunity to, to do that. And the irony was that uh, you know, a couple of years later, I taught for probably six, seven years there. And uh, you know, midway through the program, the students were given evaluations uh, to fill out on their professors in my class, which was called the economics of informatics, uh, was designated the most popular to, uh, uh, course in the program, uh, which I was sort of surprised at because I was just sort of a part-time person. Uh, but Ted really, again, took that step, took that leap of faith. Um, and the other person finally was um, Ivo Nelson, uh, who gave me my first kind of official consulting job. Um, and uh, Ivo really taught me a lot about the ethics and values of consulting um, and when to admit you knew something and when to admit you didn't know something. Um, and uh, Ivo went on, of course, he had, had put together HealthLink, um, became uh, the head of uh, Next Wave Advisors and actually the precursor for what we're doing now with the Hunsinger Management Group uh, on their advisory group. Um, so, so those three people, I think, uh, certainly from the IT standpoint, uh, at pivotal points really in my career, um, each of them were willing to take a chance. Uh, we're willing, you know, almost a flyer, I guess, in some ways, uh, but they really shaped the opportunities that came down later and, and put me in a position where I could really take advantage of the opportunities that, that came down later. And I am deeply appreciative uh, to each of them for the role they played and um and uh, interestingly enough in many ways still in touch uh, with each of them each of them uh, uh periodically so it's you know it's those kinds of people that are willing to take a chance um and 
express their confidence in you uh, that really allows you to take things up a notch and move to the next level. Well, unfortunately, time is up. I'd love to give you just a final opportunity for any thoughts, sharing, anything you want to our Chime members, to our listeners out there, just kind of a final pearl of wisdom maybe from uh, the great Dr. Lynn Vogel. <laughs> well, I don't know. It's great, but you know, my, my wisdom really is sort of the themes I've alluded to over the last few minutes. Um, one is recognize what your role is. Know the organization that you're a part of. Um, and I think realize in, in many ways that the most productive role that you can provide in your organization is to facilitate the making of the best possible IT investment decisions. Um, to the extent that you can manage that process, to the extent that you can involve people in that process, um, I think to that extent, you will be rewarded um, you know, by your colleagues, uh, by your staff, uh, so it's, it's really facilitating those kinds of difficult investment decisions. Um, and on the other side, just one other comment goes back to my, my thought about skepticism. Um, you know, IT doesn't solve every problem. Uh, if we learned anything else from the, and nothing else from the pandemic, we learned that healthcare is not a smoothly uh, operating, efficient, effective system. Uh, in fact, there are a lot of parts of it that are fairly badly broken um, and that uh, efforts to kind of put IT front and center as a solution to those problems are probably short-sighted. Um, so recognize what IT can do, champion it, um, uh, embrace it, uh, but also recognize that it's highly unlikely that uh, at the margin anyway, uh, we'll find that... Um, uh, IT is the solution to all of healthcare's problems. It really isn't. And there are a lot of issues out there that are still nagging us years and years later. Well, Lynn, uh, a great debt of appreciation for all your leadership. Uh, one of the few that have been around the entire 30 years. And so a special appreciation for your uh your longevity and stick-to-itiveness to, to uh, be with us the whole way. But more importantly, thank you for your friendship to Chime, uh, to me personally, but to uh, our entire community. Rush, this has been a delight. It has really enabled me to put a lot of, or at least a few thoughts together, uh, kind of reflect, uh, which is also, I think, healthy in some ways. I appreciate what Chime has done uh, and what Chime is doing and excited by the leadership that, as I mentioned at the outset, that you bring into the organization and the leaders that you've brought into the organization. I think that there's a very, very bright future for the organization and uh, maybe another 30 years, but you probably won't be interviewing me for that. <laughs> That's funny. Well, I appreciate it. And thank you to all of our listeners out there for joining us for this episode of our special 30th anniversary series. As always, you can find us on our website at chimecentral.org forward slash media or Spotify to listen to this and all these amazing top healthcare leaders. As we continue to work our way out of this pandemic, please stay safe and God bless. <laughs>